This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. And welcome to another edition of Blazing the Trail here on Mater Dei Radio. I'm your host, Miriam Marston, and I'm grateful to have you along as we explore what it looks like to live out the Catholic faith today. And my guest on this episode, Dr. Ryan Hanning, gives us a snapshot of one of these ways of living out the faith. He describes himself as a homesteader and scholar, a fairly unique combination, but as you'll hear him explain shortly, there are some beautiful connections to be made between theology and our relationship to the land, not to mention, of course, our relationships with others. You'll hear him mention a woman by the name of Madeleine Delbrel, who was declared venerable by Pope Francis in 2018. Now, I had never heard of her, so I went to go find out some information on her. And to give you a sense of the arc of Madeleine's spiritual journey, she wrote the following words as a 17-year-old, God is dead, long live death. So here she was, a teenager in Paris, France, steeped in a world of atheism, believing that life was fundamentally absurd. But a series of events prompted a profound conversion in 1924, when she was 20 years old. In describing her conversion, she wrote, By reading and reflecting, I found God. But by praying, I believed that God found me, and that He is a living reality, and that we can love Him in the same way that we can love a person. Madeline described herself as a reporter of God's eternal newness. I think that description is a really good one when we consider evangelization. Shouldn't an evangelizer be one who, after an encounter with Christ, reports back to the others to share all of the ways that God's newness, His gift of new life, is breaking into the world, transforming all our weary efforts into something more beautiful than we could imagine? Madeline died in 1964, but she left an important legacy which has been picked up by many others in the church. In fact, she's been referred to as the French Dorothy Day because of her commitment to Catholic social teaching and activism. She had a deep affection for the ordinary people in the street and opportunities of pursuing sanctity in the course of daily activities and routines. In that spirit, she writes the following passage. Our feet march upon a street, but our heartbeat reverberates throughout the world. Each docile act makes us receive God totally and give God totally in a great freedom of spirit, and thus life becomes a celebration. Each tiny act is an extraordinary event in which heaven is given to us, in which we are able to give heaven to others. It makes no difference what we do, whether we take in hand a broom or a pen, whether we speak or keep silent. 
whether we are sewing or holding a meeting, caring for a sick person or tapping away at the typewriter. Whatever it is, it's just the outer shell of an amazing inner reality, the soul's encounter with God, renewed at each moment, in which at each moment the soul grows in grace and becomes ever more beautiful for her God. Is the doorbell ringing? Quick, open the door. It is God coming to love us. Is someone asking us to do something? Here you are. It is God coming to love us. Is it time to sit down for lunch? Let's go. It is God coming to love us. Let us let him. Again, those words are from Madeleine Delbrel, who was a French laywoman with a passion for the church and the poor. And now please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Hanning as he shares with us how he is striving to build up right relationships with God, with family, and with the land. I'm delighted to be joined today by Dr. Ryan Hanning, who is a homesteader and scholar residing with his family just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Ryan, how are you today? Doing great. All right, it's, it's, I can't wait to hear more about being a homesteader and a scholar. I'm sure there's quite a journey to, to where you are today. So yeah, Ryan, could you please share with us how you know the truth and love of Christ was shared with you? What were a few key moments from, from that part of your story? You know, I always tell people, so I, I grew up as a cradle Catholic, which, you know, I like to think I was born with like an orb in my hand, looking like a little infant of Prague. Uh, but the truth is, you know, my grandparents were really devout Catholic and my, my parents, um, as much as they love the faith, you know, they got divorced when I was very young. I have six brothers and sisters and each of us are from a different union. Um, oh, yeah. So I have, I have lots of step families. I have uh, literally step brothers and half brothers and half sisters, uh, quite literally all over the world. Um, and you know, there was one constant thing. And the constant thing was this, was that there is a level of peace at my grandparents' house on both my mom's, my dad's side that was deeply captivating. And so I understood at a young age that that peace came from having a relationship with Jesus Christ, from being close to his church and from having a community to, to, to anchor oneself in. So I had an incredible witness. And so I went through all the regular machinations of every child, I lived alone in high school. Um, and so, wow. you know, I fell in and out of my faith and uh, actually uh, in college had a really strong healing and conversion um, mm-hmm. to really re-encounter that and, and seek it on my own. Um, I thought, mm-hmm. I think I always, always, always recognized it, but took it for granted. And the Lord just touched my heart. And I thought that meant, I thought conversion meant I had to go to seminary. <laughs> so I discerned a very juvenile discernment with uh, the, the Dominicans and the Western province. And uh, quickly discovered that, no, actually, you know, lay people are called to holiness too. And yeah. I was actually probably called to marriage. And so uh, from that moment forward, my, my life was given to the Lord and, and uh, it's incredible what, what he can do with it, you know? Wow. Um, and so married with kids now, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm a husband of one, father of 10. <laughs> we, uh, my wife, Rebecca and I uh, are really blessed with a large family. I didn't anticipate it, um, but we're, we're on that every other year installment plan. We highly recommend it. Um, and, uh, we're, we love NFP. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's amazing. We, we, you know, being, being a father of a large family, uh, brings a lot of blessings, a lot of challenges and a lot of chaos, and a lot of beauty and a lot of messiness, and a lot of joy and all those things yeah. and lots of opportunities to grow in virtue. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, in our own family, we've been constantly reminded Miriam of, of just God's love and providence you know, even in the suffering, right. Um, yeah. 
mm-hmm. you know, that, that we've had in our life as and our children have gone through things. And, but we've constantly reminded of God's love. And I'll, I'll tell you one dramatic way we yeah, experience this. Please. So uh, imagine the scene. So we gather each night for family prayer, as, as many families do, uh, I hope. And we, we gather at our fireplace and, and there we have a crucifix and the image of Our Lady and St. Joseph and all the patron saints of our children. And sure. the children offer up their own intercessions and, and offer up their own petitions. And we're gathered one night eight years ago and my son, Ezra, at the time was eight. And he said, uh, dear Lord, please bless our babies. Pulled him aside. We're like, hey, son, mom and dad, we're not expecting another child. You know, and, and why are you praying for babies? And he explained his eight-year-old logic. He's like, mom, dad, you're, you're, you have a child every other year. And Jacob at the time was going to be four. And so he goes, you have to have two babies to make up for it. <laughs> so every night, dear Lord, please bless our babies. Well, you know, pretty soon we discovered that we were indeed pregnant. We, we told the kids on Christmas day and there was something lost in the translation because they, they ran through the house yelling twins, twins, twins. And we're like, no, no, no guys, just, just one baby. Now all indications were one child. I mean, uh, one heartbeat, uh, everything was one kid, but every night as we play, dear Lord, please bless our babies. And pretty soon we we're getting phone calls from friends saying, Hey, congratulations on twins because your kids asked my kids to pray for your babies. So we had to embarrassingly explain to everyone, no, we're just having one child. Yeah. And, um, well, they, they kept praying. So we finally called Ezra aside because we were really nervous. We, were, we, we knew it was one kid. <laughs> and so yeah. we pulled aside, look, Ezra, God heard your prayers. He's given us the gift of new life, but, but we're having one kid, dude. Like, come on. And he looked at us with like utter like disappointment. He's like, mom, dad, talk to God. You're having a little girl, a little boy. And every night, dear Lord, please bless our babies. Oh my God. So now something, um, you know, welled up inside of them because about a week later, after we had this sort of intervention with them, <laughs> my wife calls me at work and uh, said, you ought to come home, which usually means kids are really bad or a pipe yeah. broke or something. And I come home and she explains to me what happened was that she had caught Ezra and Isabel, our second oldest daughter, sneaking out to the garage. And she thought, you know, get into candy or, you know, selling stolen goods on Craigslist or something. So she, she went out there to check and she discovered that they had actually made a shrine uh, to St. Jude Thaddeus. And they were offering a novena for twins uh, among other petitions that were on their heart. And uh, we were nervous because we know St. Jude Thaddeus is, is nothing, no one to mess with. So um, the patron saying impossible causes. And so they had been lifting up their prayer to the Lord and asking for the powerful intercession of, of the witness of the apostle uh, St. Jude Thaddeus. And anyways, uh, they finished their novena on March 30th. We got an ultrasound on April 1st and discovered we were indeed having twins oh and uh, delivered them just about six weeks later, little Therese Luis and little David Thaddeus. And now they are seven years old. And about 20 minutes ago, I was up on our pasture moving our cows as, uh, as little David and Therese were riding their bikes around. Wow. So the God is never outdone in this creativity or generosity. And we are constantly reminded of that in a really dramatic way with, with these little twins. You know, when they came in the world, I could hold them in the palm of my hands. They were just so right. tiny. Oh and, my goodness. And now just to see them so, so full of joy. And, and subsequent to that, we've had a few more too. Um, wow. so yeah, so fa- family life is a, a great opportunity uh, to be reminded of God's creativity uh, and also his forgiveness, <laughs> his willingness to, yeah. to work through, uh, you know, sinners like me. Oh, thank you. That's a, that's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, 
and I, I loved the the perseverance. It was Ezra, correct? Your was, son? Yes. He just had this this sort of perseverance about him, and I, I really I admire that. Um, that's a uh, wow, that's beautiful. Um, for those who are just tuning in, I'm speaking with uh, Dr. Ryan Hanning, who is a homesteader and scholar residing with his family just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. So, Ryan, I, I have to ask uh, about this homesteader and scholar. Um, could you could you unpack that for us a little bit? Yeah, sure. So I, I had the opportunity. I, I taught uh, theology for uh, over 15 years, comparative religion for over 20. Um, and so I, I, I'm primarily a theologian, uh, specialized mm-hmm. in 17th century Ukraine <laughs> church history. Um, wow. But uh, about about 10 years ago, uh, my wife and I started this journey of really trying to think through what our children needed. And mm-hmm. for our own temperaments, our own personalities, um, that meant it was hard to give our children a, a sort of a sacramental imagination and, and proper connection to the land while we lived in the city. Um, yeah. And so I'd been working at, for the Diocese of Phoenix for 12 years and yeah. also working at the local university and with the University of Mary um, and their uh, campus out at, uh, at Arizona State University. And uh, we just felt really compelled. And that started a process of prayer. We've been raising goats in the city and chickens and okay. raising our own garden but just felt we need to make a more committed turn. And you know, the way I always described it is, you know, my wife and I felt you know, there's these three fundamental relationships, right? Right relationship with God, right relationship with each other and right relationship with the land. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot, especially in our faith that equips us to be in right relationship with God, the entire sacramental economy, the entire life prayer. I mean, all of that is directed towards being in right relationship with God. And then also right relationship with each other, right? This is where we have the commandments and the beatitudes. And, and when we yeah. fail, you know, to live up to those expectations for being in right relationship, we have confession. But there's this, this third component, which is being in right relationship with the land, you know, authentic stewardship, really entering into the gifts that God has given you to understand that grace builds upon nature. We just felt that that was missing from our lives. And so right. um, we made uh, the transition to homesteading and uh, we live out here in Jolton, Tennessee, where we raise cows and goats and, and small little herd of Icelandic sheep. And the whole yeah. purpose is it's, and it's really not nostalgic, you know, a nostalgia is a poor excuse for tradition. Um, you know, if we had more virtue, we could live it out in the city and we could, we could find a way to give our children a, a sacramental imagination to help them grow in virtue and in right relation with the land. But, we just couldn't, but it, it took, it took a move um, out yeah. to the land. And so now we live out here and my homestead is a, is a museum of our failures because <laughs> we're still learning you know, what to do. Um, but it's mm-hmm. been a real, a real joyful re- rediscovery of, of, of the joy of family life um, and mm-hmm. just entering in and working together what it means to, to try to participate with God's, um, not only his grace, uh, yeah. but also his call to participate in the natural order of things. Um, yeah. And so we have the opportunity to to do that here in, in, a, in a beautiful little community. And we li- literally live on St. Lawrence Drive. We live on the old property of our parish that we attend that was built wow. in 1885, actually by distant relatives, which is really, really amazing. So it's wow. incredible how God's providence and, and plan uh, can be seen in hindsight. That's really beautiful. So, so you, you mentioned you did a lot of this for your children too, to kind of foster that sacramental imagination. How have you seen that bear fruit and what are they each giving kind of different responsibilities, uh, Ryan, on, on the homestead? What does that yeah. look like in the family life? Yeah, so a few things. So one, we want our house to be a center of production, not just mm-hmm. a center of consumption, right? Like that okay. we would see that God has given us particular gifts and that Genesis 2.15 to, to, to guard until the soil yeah. is actually one of the fundamental commandments our Lord gives us, right? Um, so, I mean, think of it in the divine economy, right? So be fruitful and multiply and then guard until. And like those are, mm-hmm. that's 
pretty much the main, you know, the main expectation God has of Adam and Eve. Now the fall, you know, disorders that of course, but so much of our rediscovery then is understanding that the home is the center of the economy and the home is the center of production. So all of our children are involved. Um, we're not, um, we're not removed at all from the community. I mean, if we didn't have Costco, we would die. I mean, the idea of homesteading is not to be self-sufficient. You know, total self-sufficiency is a lie. We need each other. We depend on each other. But the idea is that our first impulse would be, can we, can we participate with the gifts God has given us and within the community that God has given us to produce the things that we need? Mm-hmm. And so my seven-year-olds, they run the goats. And so they were out with me this morning when it was 15 degrees out. I'm bringing up our big fat pregnant goats to <laughs> to wow. prepare. And when they're just chomping at the bit up early every morning to go out there to see if uh, their kids have come yet. Uh, my wow. son runs a small herd of Icelandic sheep that have been probably the most profitable enterprise we've done at the homestead. Um, we have cows that provide for our milk and meat. Uh, we have chickens that provide our eggs. Uh, we have rabbits that provide both meat and fur uh, that my daughter runs. And so everyone, everyone is involved, not just with the home, but with you know, with the chores, we're all supposed to like the family economy of providing for ourselves. Yeah. And how, what's your hope in your prayer, Ryan, then, uh, how do you hope to equip your own children then for the mission of evangelization through this experience? How might it look like to send them out into the world? Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, we, we live in a world that can abstract and make natural movements of the heart artificial. Mm-hmm. And so I hope that they just sort of can, can hear more clearly the voice of the Lord and to yeah. recognize that they have something to offer, that they have unique gifts that have prepared them for a particular mission that the Lord has given them. So in terms of evangelization, mm-hmm. that they would just be more, in some ways, more grounded in those fundamental relationships that, mm-hmm. that they, you know, I, I feel even in my own life, you know, Miriam, that so many times my arguments with God are not even with things about God or just things about God like nature, how he's made life. Like there's such a thing as spiritual gravity that we try to argue with. It's just the way it is. And so I think for my own children to equip them with a real grounded understanding first in their own identity of who they are and then in how they're called to make a gift of self to others. And Mm -hmm. if if they can get those things down and understand how the Lord has prompted them to move their heart, that that I hope they can be more authentic witnesses just in a very natural way um, of that joy and of that, of you know, of God's care and and love. And so you know, I, I hope just uh, the the ordinary movements of of the year and liturgy and and in the seasons here on the homestead just yeah. provide a real fundamental grounding in being a, a good human being, so yeah. that they can really witness to God's creativity and God's glory. Love it. And so, for those of us who might not be able to move, <laughs> you know, what you're talking about sounds really beautiful. So, what would you recommend to our listeners who who maybe want to have that same spirit? but really where they are perhaps in a big city. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny. Augustine says it's city of God, right? It's not the farm of God. <laughs> you know, so don't run away. Don't run away from the city. You know, I think it comes down to this, Miriam. So there's four fundamental vocations, right? We're all called to holiness, the yeah. universal vocation we all share. We all have a particular vocation, a state of life. That that's, that's the arena in which we're going to live out our sainthood and our calling yeah. to holiness. But there's also like our little V vocation, our job. Sure. And then there's this fourth v, the fourth vocation, which is our people in place, where are we called to serve, whether that's a permanent calling or a temporary one. Yeah. We spend most of our life discerning that third vocation, our work. Mm-hmm. And it's important, but we should spend a lot more time really thinking about that first, second, and fourth, right? So I think yeah. if you live in the city, 
ask yourself, what are, what is the people in place God has called me to serve, right? St. Mm-hmm. John Henry Newman says, you know, there's a mission God has given me that he has not given anyone else. He could have in his divine providence. He could have in his divine mandates, but he's given it to me. Yeah. And if I don't fulfill it, he can rise up another. Um, but you know, so wherever you might be, um, you know, whatever angst you have on your heart, you know, bring it to the Lord and ask the Lord to, to show you a way in which he's either one calling you to, to a new people or a new place or calling you very often to serve the people in place that you're currently in. Yeah. It's just a matter of figuring out what that looks like. Yeah. And that can be done anywhere, as you say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, mean, that, I mean, we need, we need saints in the city more than, more than anywhere else. Right. And so to be that witness of God's love and joy uh, right where you are. Yeah. And speaking of saints, Ryan, you mentioned uh, St. Jude earlier. Have you uh, sort of discovered along the way um, just some friendship with some other saints that, that you might direct our listeners to as well? Some folks they might not know about. Yeah. So, so a few who are capital S saints and a few who are on the way. There <laughs> so, we go. Yeah. So one St. Josemaria Escriva, yeah. you know, Escriva's understanding of, of the call of the lady, you know, he's given this retreat to this group of really holy nuns. And um, he, he, he explained to them, he said, essentially, you become a saint, not in spite of the circumstances of your life, but through them. Right. This is this idea of encountering, you know, how God is, is calling you to holiness wherever you are. Um, so I, I really always recommend him. I think a lot of his writings are just really helpful, especially for fathers and mothers, you know, for, yeah. for laymen and women who are trying to live out this vocation. St. John Henry Newman, you know, very much is sort of my, one of my intellectual fathers. I had the opportunity for my PhD work to spend six years in his home in Birmingham, England wow. at Maryville Institute. Um, and then some who are, who are on their way uh, to, to become saints. A beautiful witness of family life in Chiara Corbello. Kiara yeah. Corbello gave her life um, for the benefit of her child, sort of like a modern-day Gianna Mola. Um, yeah. And her writings and the writings of her husband are really beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, she's not yet a saint, but I can, I can recommend her under good authority. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and there's you know, a few others, too, if you, especially if some of your listeners are interested in really trying to figure out what it means to live out a life of holiness within the confines of wherever you find yourself. Madeleine de Briel is a French author. She's considered the French Dorothy Day. Okay. Most people don't know about her. Madeleine de Briel writes, um, We the People of the Street. She, she, she has this beautiful, probably, probably the most developed lay spirituality uh, of anyone prior to the Second Vatican Council. The Second Vatican Council really developed that theme. But prior to that, there wasn't a whole lot um, of, of at least deep theology on what it meant to, to live out the vocation of sanctifying the world and renewing the temporal order as a layperson, And Madeleine de Briel writes so beautifully. It's just, you know, the doors of, of the sacristy open upon the altar, which is the arena in which a priest sanctifies the church. The, the door of the convent opens up into, you know, the priory in which they pray. You know, and then she says, but the door of the layperson is open wide and long to go care for the ordinary souls on the street. Um, oh, and so she, she saw not a diminished apostle, but actually uh, an enhanced and strengthened one of the laity, of course, in concert with the sanctifying work of the church and of, of religious and consecrated men and women. So uh, okay. she'd be another one I'd recommend. Oh, wonderful. I will check her out as well. I, that name is new to me, so I'll, I'll definitely look her up. We have, a, we have just a couple minutes left, Ryan, and I, I, I like to ask my guests um, if you could just leave us with a word of hope and encouragement for our listeners. Yeah, so I, I've t- had the opportunity to teach graduate and undergraduate philosophy and theology for the last 15 years. 
And I always ask my students when I tell them my mission is in life um, is to help people really uh, elevate what's good, beautiful, and true in the culture while simultaneously speaking out against those things that are bad, ugly, and false. And, you know, we live in a time, I think, where there's a lot of focus on the failings of culture and all the things that are bad, ugly, and false in the world. But the human heart um, has not changed. Um, We'll only be filled by the Lord. And even we might look in a thousand places uh, that won't bring us fulfillment. We'll never be satiated until we find the one who can truly fill us. And so I have a lot of hope because I know we live in a world that's messed up, but guess what? It's been this way since the fall. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you know, it's our job in each and every age to really find what's good, beautiful, and true in the culture and elevate mm-hmm. that and esteem it and cherish it and celebrate it and simultaneously speak truth against those things that are beneath us. Um, yeah. you know, the problem with sin is not that it makes God angry. The problem with sin is that it makes him sad that we haven't lived in accord with our nature something that I've come to understand as a father. And so I'm really hopeful um, that God is for us, not against us. And the human heart is fundamentally the same and it will only be filled by the Lord. So we just need to help, help ourselves and help others find that fulfillment and the only one who can give it to us. That's a great note to end on. Thank you so much, uh, Ryan. I just ask that God continue to bless you and your family. Thank you again. That was my pleasure, Miriam. God bless. God bless. During our conversation, Dr. Hanning mentioned Chiara Corbella Petrillo, who was a young Italian woman who died from cancer at the age of 28 in 2012. Chiara's cause for canonization is underway, and she was given the title Servant of God in 2018. She and her husband, Enrico, lost two babies shortly after they were born. Their third did survive, and they named him Francesco. On the occasion of Francesco's first birthday, Chiara and Enrico wrote him a letter, and I share here an excerpt from that letter. The goal of our life is to love and to be loved, always ready to learn how to love others as only God can teach you. Love consumes you, but it is beautiful to die consumed, exactly like a candle that goes out only when it has reached its goal. Anything that you do in life will make sense only if you look at it in view of eternal life. If you are truly loving, you will realize this from the fact that nothing belongs to you because everything is a gift. In Assisi, I fell in love with the joy of the friars that live believing in God's providence. So I ask the Lord for the grace to believe in this providence that they spoke of to believe in this Father who truly does not make you lack anything. We got married without anything, but we put God in first place and believed in the love that He asked us to. Taking this big leap, we have never been disappointed. Your name is Francesco because St. Francis changed our lives, and we hope that he can be an example also for you. It is beautiful to have examples of lives that remind you that you can expect the greatest joy already on this earth with God as our guide. We know that you are special and that you have a great mission. The Lord has wanted you from eternity, and He will show you the road to follow if you open your heart. Trust Him. It is worth the while. Again, that is from a letter written by Chiara and Enrico Petrillo to their son. 
And my friends, my prayer for you this week is that you receive the grace of that perspective, which allows you to place God and that call to holiness first. And that allows everything else in life to orbit around these central realities. And I would just ask you to let those last four lines of the letter sink into your heart as though the words were being spoken directly to you. We know that you are special and that you have a great mission. The Lord has wanted you from eternity, and He will show you the road to follow if you open your heart. Trust Him. It is worth the while. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue to blaze a trail of faith here in the Pacific Northwest. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, Visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through matradayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.